ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Word Horde, the podcast where we take a word or phrase and trace its meanings and origins throughout history. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Grablowski, and we're continuing our interview from last week. So if you have not heard the first half of this interview, I highly recommend you just click the back button on your podcast app, whatever podcast service you're using around the globe, be it Spotify or Spreaker or Apple Podcasts or Google Play or our own sister website, fullnessofmeaningchristianministries.org. Once again, this interview is a continuation of last week. This interview is of a strega. That's uh, the Italian word for witch. And we're going to continue where we left off. So highly recommend you go back and listen to the first half of this episode. If you don't mind your story in the middle, why just go for it. Just go for it and start listening right now. On a completely tangential note, I mentioned last week that we wanted to get several different questions that we can pose to Kyle to close out season one. Wanted to give you guys a bit of a, a backstory on where we're going after that. But first I wanted to say thank you so much for the wealth of responses we've received. I am curating those questions to try to best aim where we're going to go for our final couple weeks here. And then for the beginning of season two, we have a tremendously special treat for you. But I will save that locked in mystery. For now, please enjoy part two of our interview with Istrega from Italy. Here's Kyle. Freaking world. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. there was a time which was based in the the woman was the leader of the of the uh, she was the, the matriarch. She was the leader of the of the tribes. Almost all of them, anywhere you went, and you see this. And, the, and you can prove it by finding the statuettes. The idols um, were always in, in the female form. You know, we were talking... Well, I mean, also, the, the, I mean, you know all about the broom, right? I mean, like, with the broom symbol, my grandmother had, like, little miniature brooms hanging in the kitchen. Like, as you're talking about this, and I'm thinking about, like, the symbolism and, and the, the women. Um, and I, my naughty taught us from very early on what the broom symbolized. Is it a phallic symbol? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, she had a, I guess it was like a print. It wasn't a painting. It was a, of basically the women dancing around the tree. Yeah. With with the broom, you know, um, and what they were really doing. And, and it was, I can't think, what was that picture? I wonder who has it. I wonder where that thing is. Um, I wish you could take a picture of it. It was was, was women dancing around this big old tree. And the, and and my nami always, it was, it was the kind of picture that as a kid, you would just stare at it because you're trying to figure out what it means. And it's so interesting. And um, that's when I learned about the, the symbolism, you know, the phallic symbol and like the broom and the wood and like the whole thing. Yeah. And why they were dancing around the tree. I love you know, it. My grand yeah, my grandmother wasn't shy about um her belief in that and the, the power of that. So, uh, if you ever ever find that image or picture, please take a picture of it, send it to me and I'll I would put it up on a it's one of the podcast pictures. Yeah, definitely I will. I have to ask my sister. I haven't thought about that thing in years. 
I would love, I, I mean, I'm telling you, Halloween is my favorite holiday. I just need to get it out there. And the, and the greatest images in my mind as a, from a child to even now were always the witches uh, in some form and flying on a broom in front of the crescent moon. Uh, that was just, that was my favorite. And yeah, I won't go any further, but that was always my favorite. We have them now, too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so, yeah, just little things like that that I sort of forgot about because it's just was always a part of my life. And you see them every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then there, there were just other things that she did, like just her way of knowing if, some, if you had the evil eye, like pouring olive oil into a bowl with a little bit of water. And if it if it makes eyes like if it actually if, if it if it stayed together you're good, and if it broke up into two eyes, then you were screwed. Oh wow! Wow! <laughs> Just, yeah, um, and she had a, a a key, a special key that she would use, um, like a skeleton key. And I don't remember what I don't know why that was, but she wouldn't she she couldn't and wouldn't do it without her key. She you had to get the key, and <laughs> the key is is what you she would like touch the key to the water with the oil in it, and that's what that's what would determine whether or not you have the maloik. Huh. that's so interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, very very interesting. Um, <clears throat> you know, but I know a lot of cultures. I don't know if this was a Vega thing or it's just every culture has their own version of it but never ever let anyone touch a pregnant belly huh. ever that, that's a big deal for a lot of Italians if you didn't know that like that's not just my family but um, yeah you don't know if they're giving that baby the mobile leg no wow. nobody touches the belly nobody touches the belly so okay let me ask you this then so you've got the idea of uh, let me put it to you this way: I had a guy who uh, you know I posted before said anybody's got a, a theme or an idea question that you have uh, that you want me to address on my podcast. Let let me know. And um, you know some of them you know were were good, and a lot of them I addressed. Uh, some of them were were uh, some you know had had already been answered. And, uh, but one of them, and, I, and I'm applying this to you, obviously, because we're talking, I'm not going to waste your time. Um, the idea that why can't we look at uh, God, not necessarily as a personal God, but as a force, you know, something to be tapped into and uh, like an impersonal force. And and it seems very. <laughs> if you are knee jerk, you know you as a quote Christian, you could go well. How foolish that question is. Uh, but if you look at it from the other flip, the flip side of it, it fits all of the other older religions. And I would say this 
like what you're talking about. Like, you know, if you do a hand sign to uh, defend or to, to wield away some curse being thrown at you, um, the, the idea of wielding comes to my, to my mind. Now, when I, when I think of wielding, the first thing that happens to my brain is I go into about 20 different languages because wielding comes from the word weirding, the weirding sisters, the wilding sisters, those which wield away, those which are weird, those which are the, um, uh, the ones that, uh, well, it's actually the word for word as well. And it means to, to give the spiel, to cast a spiel, to deal with things that, so you, I'm, all of these things are coming in my head at the same time. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, we're dealing with a, an archaic idea about, about wielding a, a force, a power. And so I thought about that that is not as old as the agrarian idea where they simply respected and kowtowed, if you will, to Mother Nature. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that you never heard about those people because those agrarian people, they never conquered people. They never wielded mm-hmm. a force right. over another. And so they were never written down in the annals of time as a great fighting force right. that conquered. So right. that's why you always hear about the patristic or the male. You know that. The, the mm-hmm. societies mm-hmm. because of that. So I look at the word for nature, naturae. That w- or fusis in the Greek, that which flows naturally. Um, I look at the next, and I won't say evolution, but let me go ahead and say evolution of of looking at it. Um, I see fate, fatalism. If it's natural, then it has its end, its teleos. It's uh, it's an ordered flow, like the river has to go to the end of, of its flow before it goes back into the circuits of the earth and does its recycle. And so you've got that return, but there's a, there's a faded end to something, to that river. And, or it goes out into the ocean, whatever, or goes into, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. but, but, but the, the idea of a creek or river can easily go back into the, the circuits of the earth, if you will. And what I'm trying to get at is that whatever the end of that thing is, or your life or the end of some action, it always has a quote fatality to it or a faded end. Now, I'm, again, I'm getting to a point with you. So we have Lithuanian, Bosnian, before they were called that, goddess cultures or Eve cultures, ages of innocence. Then you see by in around thirty five to twenty five thousand BC. Then you come on down to say Sumeria, where really all of the the wild um, myths and and pictures of Lilith mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff started happening 
you know, and different different accounts of Adam and Eve were happening, and the gods coming down as engineers of mankind and womankind happening then. So you got it's not just the Bible; you got all this stuff. So, but then all of a sudden, Tammy, you've got a male god, right? So now, now you're dealing with, well, and I, I could I could go into a million places with this one, but but now you're dealing with a male god, and I, I'm going to say this with all, as much respect as I can. Um, a god who's not even really exposed yet as to his personality, he just created the heavens and the earth. Okay, I can okay. Let's just go with uh-huh. it. Let's buy it. Uh-huh. And I, uh-huh. I, I, I do. I mean, wh- why not? Yeah, of course. Um, but here's what's interesting. Here's what's really interesting to me. It wasn't Elohim, or should I, not even Elohim, excuse me, Yahweh, that I'm, I'm really, at this point, interested in, in the garden scene. What I'm interested in is... The, per, the first being that messed up and was evil, brought an evil to the table, corrupted the system of genius of the natural flow of creation, of, of the abidance of the garden, of the land, of the agriculture, was a male figure. And I believe his name was Inky, or... Satan, if you want to get that, but he was, he was, uh, a lot of people don't really tie it together, but I think that it very well could have been the very act in Genesis 6 that refers to um, these fallen angels having sex with the daughters of men, creating men of renown, giants, Nephilim. Why couldn't that have been? Uh, the very act as well that this fallen angel uh, had sex with Eve. Because in the story of Inki and Inanna, that's the woman of life, that's the same word for for Eve is, um, you know, this Inki did have sexual intercourse with her and she bore tyranny. So, and that would be Cain. And I think that Cain actually is the Genghis Khan line. Sure. All your Khanites. So what I'm trying to get at is you have, what you have is an overthrow past beyond really a patristic system back to, like you said, the old world, the old ways. Um, but with a, a hybrid somewhat of the of of wielding and i think that came just from my own understanding that came later you know what i'm saying that uh well that makes sense i mean it it makes sense that it the earliest people would just accept they would what they they were they would just accept what was happening to them yeah only later to evolve that maybe I can wield power of deflection or throwing the Malloy or, you know, that kind of thing, like, yeah. that people actually 
Hightower. Yeah, I mean, it's it, very well. I mean, and and why not? It, it, it especially at a time when um you have daughters of men being raped basically by uh well let me tell you what they were called they were called the Elohim did you I don't know if you knew that or not the the Elohim <clears throat> were the gods um and Yahweh was the the god the I am amongst the Elohim that none stand beside him and so everybody calls God Elohim well you can call God what you want to as an as a Western noun, but Elohim means counsel, and really counsel of the gods. But it was Yahweh that was the head of that council, and it was the Elohim. Some of them that I believe fell, and I'm going to blow your mind. But I think, and this is for tomorrow. This might be very strange, but the word tree of knowledge, <clears throat> me'etz, it's the root word is etz. It just means, um, you could say standing firm as a tree, but the Hebrew is an active language, and they don't use words from a nominative or stative sense. They use the words as an active verbal sense. So when you verbalize ets, it means one or several as a council who get together and make firm as a tree statements of opinions or ideas, and they set them forth and they stick to them. Now, if you can look at it like that, it was the tree in the middle of the garden that could have had fallen Elohim that God, Yahweh, told Adam and Eve, don't take the advice of this council. Because when you do, you will be as them, seeing good and evil. Right. And that's wit. That's judgment. So, and that's what Satan said. But what I'm trying to say is that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan didn't lie, but he offered it to him that you shall be as God. So, there's a lot of um, interesting concepts of tree the hulapa tree, what it meant in Sumeria. Um, totem poles. Yep. With the high council. Um, the, the American Indian chiefs. Yep. With, yep. With, which was, again, Satan's uh, title, Melek Taos, which means the great king feathered one. And he was, by name, considered the great one with the, great, uh, the, the large feathered headdress and, and that wore the feathers. And so uh, he was also uh, considered to be a serpent. And guess what? In Quetzalcoatl, in early America, uh, the earliest American god we have, early, this Quetzalcoatl, it was a snake bird. So 
I'm just saying all of this to like go, this is very patristic and not matristic. And I, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm just going, it's so interesting that what you said and like everything you said, it fits um, right into that, uh, to a category that I'm looking for. Like you're, you would be an authority that I could quote. I wouldn't, I won't call it your name unless you want me to or if you wouldn't mind, but um, I would definitely put your, you out there if you wanted me to <laughs> or didn't mind. Put it I, that way. I, I mean, it doesn't matter to me either way. I, I, I'm not looking for any, you know, recognition or notoriety or anything like that. I mean, no, no one listens to my podcast anyway, so. Yeah. <laughs> but no, no, but I am, um, it's, it's a part of my life that I'm really happy is there because it's, it's not something that all people have. Yeah. It's not something that all people know. And my grandmother isn't here anymore and it was really important to her. Yeah. It was really important to my grandmother. And she was adamant about this is not about the boys. Yeah, I mean, that, that's like the like the big thing that I remember being a little girl. Like the boys had to leave the room. <laughs> like, yeah, the men had to like leave, you know, like the men had to leave the room. We didn't even talk about those things in front of the men. Yeah, I think that's very embedded in an Italian uh, woman, I, I guess, or a culture. Um, you know, my wife is, is Italian, you know that, and she has that tendency without artic the articulation, not that she's not brilliant, I'm just saying, I wonder if the genes are in her as well, that are in you. I mean, that's right. I mean, they would, and that would yeah. answer for a lot of that matriarchy, you know. Um, yeah. I can't control that part of me, by the way. Right. And she <laughs> can't know, either. She can't either. You know, 25 years I've been with my husband and, like, he's still trying to tame that part of me. But, um, no, not, that's not going to happen. It, it It's it's like that over here, and I don't mean it, and that I am, like, a 1972... <laughs> mentality you know what I'm saying I'm not that guy yeah. I'm not the anchor man I know I know you know me I don't need to explain myself I know. I know um but there's a little bit of like you know damn it don't you know don't put the leash on me you know come on and yeah. and there's a little bit of that fun or that play where she you know the <laughs> the female tiger puts the the male tiger in his place you know and I mean, that's, that's like, that's that kind of a thing. Yeah. I'm going, okay, that's funny, but stop it. <laughs> yeah, I'm a ball breaker. I can be. Well, <laughs> d d d I play a lot. I we play. Yeah. It's play. It's play, but my, sometimes my husband's had enough. And he you know, like, oh, come on, I'm just, you know, I'm teasing you. Yeah. It's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but um, I basically don't. You know, I, I was, like, again, I was brought up in a household where 
my grandfather wore the pants, but my grandmother, she laid, she laid down the rules. Right. And my grandfather did eat that the boys did not question their mother. My uncle did not question. My, my mom, I don't know if you remember me ever telling you this, my mom is the oldest of eight, but my grandmother actually had 11 children, three passed. Right. But my mom, my mom is the oldest of eight. And mm. um, there were five girls and three boys. And my uncles, they, I mean, just like any good Italian boys, they worshipped the ground my grandmother walked on. You know, nobody mm-hmm. questioned my grandmother, including my grandfather. Right. She said... That's it. What she said, that's it. And if she said that something, uh, that it wasn't time to plant the tomatoes, it wasn't time. Right. You know, um, she just had a way about her. Some of it was a little mystical. Some of it was just instinct. But she, she, we did operate with a lot of what I just call folk medicine at this point. But So when, when you get it, okay, and that's, let me get into this one. Folk medicine. Folk medicine. Uh, psychopharmacopoeia. Do you get it? I mean, how far in herbology? Because that's a big deal. I mean, that's, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the Bible actually uses the very word, um, you know, uh, concerning sorcery as pharmacopoeia. Okay, so, yeah. All right. So. When you're a Stega, there are only two paths you can walk. You're either a sorcerer or you're a healer. Right. In my family, that's that's what I was taught. You're a sorcerer or you're a healer. You're you're a magician or you're a healer. Huh. And my grandmother was a healer. Right. So um, things like uh, birds, yes. Yes, um, but it was like I, I don't remember a lot except stupid little things like when we got a bee sting, it was butter and mud. Mm. Um, uh, she was really big into like poultice. Tink- tinctures. She was she would boil things and cook things, but I don't remember my mom remembers more but a lot of herbs a lot of couches I remember her putting things on my boobies little Mm. wrapped up pieces of cotton cloth that had goodies in there that she had boiled yeah I don't know who the the hell knows what was in there could have been you know goat eyes (laughs) you know I mean hey listen my uncles used to eat the goat eyes right at the table so I mean that's not (laughs) that wouldn't be that wouldn't be far fetched from my family no. Um, but, but she was, you know, but she, she passed away when I was in my early teens and I wasn't, I, I wasn't aware enough to ask more about it. I wasn't old enough or mature enough intellectually to say, I want to know, what are you making, Nani? What are you doing? What is that? You know, like, I don't know what she was, like, her, her what she like, what her little concoctions were to heal us. Yeah. And my sister and I were the oldest. And if anybody would know, it would be my sister and I. My mom doesn't like to talk about it a lot. I have to ask her and pull it out of her. But, but yes, yeah. so my grandmother was more of a healer. She, she always felt that the 
the Italian women that people would go to to read tarot cards and read your future. My not, she did not like that shit. Like straight right. up, right? She did no. She she did not roll like that. She could help you with ailments. She would help you with ailments. We would say prayers under the moon. The garden was a very very big deal. She is the person that controlled the garden. Um, like when my grandfather finally passed. This is a weird thing, but the garden was so important to my family that my uncles and aunts gave to all the grandchildren little glass jars of my grandfather's garden dirt. Because mm. that, that was like the magical dirt. That was like our family legacy. Yeah. It wasn't money. It wasn't who gets the house. It was everyone got the jar of dirt. Did you get your dirt? Yeah. Did you get your dirt? Yes. Like, mine is in my living room in the cabinet. Like, it's in my china cabinet. A yeah. jar of dirt. You know, but that, that, that is powerful to me. And as a matter of fact, my niece out in Portland, Oregon, just had a baby. And I sent some of my grandpa's dirt. It's the only time I've ever opened the jar. And it's the only time I've ever shared it. It was with my niece for her little guy. And I said, this is for you guys. And now you have the magic dirt. <laughs> wow. Um, so it's just, it's weird things like that, but what, like the actual ingredients that my grandmother would use in things like when we had sunburn or we had a rash or I had poison ivy, um, I don't remember the actual ingredients, I was too little, but that's what she would do. She right. was a healer and, and that, that was like a big deal. Like we knew that, that the two were trying to perform magic or that. That's not the kind of Italian we were. That's not the kind of Stego we were. Yeah. We were healers. And um, that was a big deal for her. Like, she was adamant about that, that that was black magic. That, that was, you know, maybe that there's something there, too, about you're not supposed to be trying to control Diana. I don't know. You're not supposed to try, try to control the forces. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, had, you had brought up, and, and again, it's it's so, it's, I'm always, I always question how, uh, how I retain and what I retain and the admixture to what I've retained over the years. And again, I, I draw right back to our early conversations about all this. And I remember, if I'm not mistaken, and please correct me um, uh, immediately on this one, but uh, I remember you talking about your grandmother being... Uh, and, I, and I want you to let me... I know, it, I know you'd let me finish this, but let, let me finish this up before I say this because I'm going to say something else to it. Uh, so in tune to um, to people's gestures, genuflect, um, and just the overall atmosphere of the room even, because again, it's in her genes to be more observant of nature and things that are in that asymmetrical field, if you will, and 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 that, if you will, adds to what I've um, and I'm talking like I'm going to be talking on the podcast. So forgive me if I get to uh, staccato here, but just I remember Dr. Owen Barfield's work about uh, consider uh, concerning the study of idolatry. What, what paganism meant in its truest amoral sense. Um, 
and he said that that you we might be a more advanced society with computers technology but if you go to the most remote part of Borneo they would be more in tune to uh, if a jaguar is coming um, then, then we would or we wouldn't have any clue because they would be watching the birds be moving yeah. one direction or whatever yeah. or the, yeah. the so they're they are always in tune to their garden of eden and could read the wind right exactly we knew when rain was coming. The leaves on the trees were pointing down. Mm-hmm. Now I look at that and I'm like, huh, you know, I don't think he was wrong because I think when the air is heavy and it's really humid, yeah, the leaves do actually point down. Now she probably put it, but, but like she, she knew, yes, she was very, I can't even call it observant because it was more of a sense. Right. So I, I didn't forget that. And... That really drove me to uh, to understand that more, um, and I'm trying to think. I, I want to really. Th- this is the one thing that I need to get my 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 fact check with you on. So, I was always thinking about how your early family, and I know I said it initially in our what we're talking about, but how your early family in the mid- Middle Ages, mid- medieval era, you know, how that they were developed in Rome and Italy and the southern part of Italy going more and more south. And that sounds right. Most people that go more south, that, that, that includes Germany, you know, Bavaria. They're very anti-European, uh, what they would call trash. Mm-hmm. As German, they look at them as trash. And when I was with the Fleetwood Mac Blues Band on tour, I was over there, and I loved Bavaria, and I could not stand the European G- Germany. Once you get above mm-hmm. that certain line, you're more north. I hated it. It was mm-hmm. to me, it was just disgusting. European Euro, you know, techno trash. Yeah. This anyway, yeah. you get it. So, um, but the, just the idea of the uh, being in danger of the Roman Catholic Church that would put you to death um, if you didn't hold to their, you know, their belief system. Another thing that my my grandmother, she kind of kept a secret. Now, it's a funny thing because she had, like, the... She she was a Christian, but she did, she was not down with the saints. Yeah. Like, the saints were made up nonsense to her. Oh, it's pagan like, gods, and they weren't even... She, she yeah. was not down with the saints. Like, that is not something that she believed in. Yeah. Um, you know, the St. Christopher and the St. Francis and every other Italian in the neighborhood was like, oh, I lost this and traded this one. And my grandmother was not down with that at all. Yeah. But she... She was not... She was a Christian, but I don't... She wasn't necessarily, I know it's going to sound crazy because I'm an Italian girl, but my grandmother, my grandfather was more Catholic than she was, but my grandmother really wasn't Catholic. Yeah. She believed in Christ, but she, she was not Catholic. She went to church because I think that she, that was what was expected of her. We went to church, we went to Catholic church, and we were all baptized and whatnot, but I think that was more... 
to be accepted in our community than, but, but I know, I remember her always talking about the things that they were nonsense. Right. And not to waste our time with that. What is he going to do? She would say, what's he going to do? About the, the various things, you know? What's he going to do? Yeah. Like, not, not to waste our time with the things. Yeah. I think that's so good. I mean, well, that's how I believe. I mean, I... I uh... <sighs> she was all about the earth, and she was about women, and she was about the earth, and she was about her own magical things that would cure us, that her mother passed down to her, Clementina, my, my great-grandmother, Clementina Calachico, and my grandmother's name, the one I'm speaking of, her name was Teresa Calachico, and then she married my grandfather, Tedisano. <laughs> wow. My mother's name is Rosaria. Rosaria? Yeah. Wow. Uh, mm. You're up. You're, you're kind of cracking up. Sorry about that. This on the cape is so bad at this time of year. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you were talking about how you loved Bavaria and you, and you didn't like the European influence. Years ago when I lived in Nashville, I went to a show um, for the... the uh, the actor Russell Crowe mm-hmm. had a band and expected to see this show and his personal assistant was from Milan <laughs> and I'll never forget that I was sitting with this girl backstage and we were talking about Italy and, and me being Italian American and I'll never forget when I told her my mother's name she laughed hysterically at me like a mean girl. Like a mean girl laughed and she couldn't even catch her breath and I had no idea why she was laughing. I told her my mother's name was Rosaria. And she was just like she was like, Are you you're kidding me, right? Like you're and she had a very heavy Italian accent, but I remember clearly that she was from Milan. And she said, That name is like a made up make believe that you only hear that name, like, it's like Daisy May. Right. It's like, in Italy, it's like not even a real name. It's, it's like what you would see in a children's book, or, but nobody is named Rosaria. That's like Daisy Duke. Like, nobody's named that. Right. And she couldn't even believe that my mother's name was Rosaria because it's such an old, ashen country name. Like, she, was, she couldn't even, she was laughing at, she couldn't even, and I never knew that. I never heard that in my life. And I went home and I told my mother and my mom said, I never, I never heard that. I never knew that. <laughs> we didn't know. Wow. But my mom, my mom is basically Daisy May in, in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's so funny um, is my, my, my mom, uh, and I didn't even want to admit it to anyone what her name was. And she was always called uh, 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 Agnes Dainty Bartholomew. So Dainty was her real name. And I was like, I didn't even want to accept it. So they called her Denise, you know, later uh-huh. on. But Dainty is actually her real name. Wow. Anyway, go ahead. I just, I do I, we have no, no, it's, mothers. It's, it's, yeah. so that's the, but that's the cultural part of Vega for me. 
Yeah. Like, it's their real roots that are deep in the Southern Italian culture because they were resistant to this whole change and the whole, you know, the, the Catholicism. And, no, they wanted to hang on to their ways of the mountain people, and they were very resistant. And today, when... I mean, I don't know how often you run into Italians, but the Calabrese, oh my God, you're Calabrese? Oh shit, he's Calabrese? I mean, they look at you, they curl their lip, they're like, oh, they, and they already make this assumption that you're hard-nosed, you're stubborn, you're ignorant. Wow. You know, um, because these, and, and the whole history behind that, but, but the reality is they did not want to give up their culture. Yeah. The Calabrese are hard-headed. And they are not as educated um, overall as Northern Italians, you know. Right. Because, but that is because they were resistant. They were rebels. Right. They refused that way of it. They refused to become refined. They wanted to hang on to their traditions. Isn't that funny how that in any culture, including today, um, you know, we still have the Confederate flag. I mean, it's like there's no difference. Yeah. There's no yep. difference. And I tell you something that, you know, I'm way beyond, you know, the pairs of opposites here. Uh, but there is, I find some comfort, and I hate to say it, but I'll say it, on you know, some comfort in knowing that there is a balancing agent with all the chaos that's going on with these southern boys down here, uh, you know, with 12-gauge shotguns, they wear KKK uh, outfits. I'm not pro it at all. I'm not pro KKK at all. But it's like we've got a culture, a Petri dish, that has balancers in our, in our culture. And my aunt and, you know, her, her, her new husband... They're from North Carolina, and they're in the, the one of the central areas of KKK, the KKK clan. Um, and I would just say to you, it's like it would be a quick step and fall out right into joining that. Not that I would. I'm saying uh, that I could so easily get into it. Um, no, I would never join it, nor do I believe it. But what I'm saying is that it's there for the taking um, based on my southern ge- genetic roots not uh right, spiritual right, roots. right and when i when i hear my aunt talk you know she's 70 years old it's like there's so much inbred racism mm. that you don't that they don't realize it that's the point that's the that's the real horror of it in one way they don't they don't see it they can't right, right. they can't see it um and to use the N word is just as it's like falling off, you know, the cart. You know, you know, it's just, you know, you, it, it's just no big deal. And my aunt and uncle came here about maybe four or five years ago, and my wife had taken them out to uh, to get some groceries. And they were in, uh, they had a basket. They had to get some groceries. My wife was getting groceries, and there was a black lady. Um, that my wife struck up a conversation with. And my aunt and my uncle uh, backed off and 
my wife said later, she, they just she they looked at her uh, because I know because she, she was black. They backed off and gave her strange looks and went to another aisle. Wow. Well, I mean, it exists. It, it exists. I, I don't. Even, I can't even get into that conversation. But yeah, it exists. Um, I think my father, for me not having being brought up with, like, no race of me being, my father was, you know, has the Native American, and, and they were shunned, so, yeah. and my father, my father grew up in the projects with, he was like, he, he was the minority in the project, he was an Indian white boy, he was half white, half, you know, he was Italian American, he was Italian, and he was um, Tuscarora Indian, my father, right. <laughs> you know, and he grew up in the projects with all the black kids, and those were his people, those were his friends, those were his best friends, and my sister and I were brought, we never, I never saw color growing up, besides the fact that Italians were, you know, please, we were black to, at the, in the 40s and the 50s, Italians were considered black to half of the country, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, so you, you, where did you initially, uh, where were you born, Tammy, initially? Me? I was born in Greenwich, Connecticut. Okay, you were originally from, Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Born and raised in Greenwich, Connecticut. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Um, people wouldn't even believe, you know, Greenwich is like the Gold Coast. Greenwich is like Beverly Hills, one of the per capita most expensive towns in our country. Are you kidding me? Oh, I know. I, I, no, I know. Right. But Greenwich had a downtown back in the day, Coscob. I'm from Coscob. It's downtown Greenwich. So Greenwich. I went to Greenwich High School. I was born in Greenwich High School. Um, but Coscob is where all the Italian immigrants generation then yeah wow wow yeah, yeah. That's, that's really good that's amazing yeah stuff. it is, it is. I, it, it's very nice i i try very hard to i don't have children so it's sad because it'll mostly die with me and my sister i guess because the, the rest of the kids my, the rest of my cousins there's 16 of us first cousins but they came along and my nanny passed away and they didn't get to see what my sister and I saw because we were the, the two, we were the oldest grandchildren. Yeah. And um, we saw more and we learned more. But I still wake up every Sunday and make my gravy and my meatballs and oh, I, I do the whole thing. I throw it down and I'm, you know, I do humble make up at least once a month. And, you know, I mean, I, 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 I can do all of those things. Yeah. I don't eat other people and thank, thank my grandmother for, for the Italian way that we know. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a garden, and, and we try to live out of the garden. And for me, that's not like this nouveau way of doing things, and like this, you know, um, environmentally footprint kind of thing. I mean, that's all great stuff. But we've been doing that for generations already. Right, so living off the land, living off the land in the mountains of Italy, like we've been doing that already. Mm. So, um, 
know, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Wow. That's so great. Yeah. My well, time is the right time, my grandmother used to say. <laughs> oh, oh, I love that. I love it. Yeah, oh. my time is that's it. And I remember being little with my sister, like six, seven, eight years old, and being nude under the moon. Oh, yeah. You know, like get, get your ass out there. You better get out there before the moon goes away. My sister and I were so excited. We'd go out there and we'd say our prayer. <laughs> running around in the nude. Jesus. Well, it, it, it sounds like my wife now at 42 years old. She, uh, <laughs> she won't stop. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's funny. Um, yeah, she sent me, and she'll send me these crazy ass, um, posts, you know, on Facebook, right there on my page. So it's like, I am so checkmated in front of, of anyone who thinks that I might try to get an inkling of a holier than thou attitude, <laughs> which of course, you, you know me, I would never really have a holier than thou, than thou attitude. But uh, she sent me a, a post of, um, it was actually a, a, a lioness uh, in heat and a, a lion whose face looked like he was so freaking fatigued that if he could put a forty four Magnum in his paw, he would blow his head completely off. And, it, and, and the subcaption was this, and it's for real, that when a, a, a lioness is in heat, they will, they will demand anywhere from 20 to 30 uh, acts of copulation within a day, uh, each day, or oh, each day. And you, see, and you see like the snapshot, and I'm not finished with this, this is, I'm not even finished. Um, of this poor, this beautiful but absolutely depressed, this bedraggled uh, male lion, and uh, you know he's just freaking tired. He has nothing. He has no more juice. You know, and uh, and and it said, and here's the last part of the caption. I thought you'd think it's as funny as a ball busting Italian uh, woman. It said, and if he doesn't uh, turn around to copulate and get with it, she bites him in his balls. <laughs> until he gets back on. So she will literally bite his testicles. Oh, sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. So funny. Yeah. Yep. Ah, oh, man. The old, way, the old way, the Italian way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, you know, <sighs> Well, that's good for now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably have to to wrap it up. Good. I gotta good. get over here. And well, I, I, hope, I hope some of it was helpful. I mean, I only know what I know from my family. I can't speak to anything else. But was, but that's that's all I remember for now. It, it's it's a that's what I I didn't want to to know any more than what you knew. I, I wanted you to tell me that, um, and that's that's authentic and that's that's real. I I, I can get definitions and more research uh, elsewhere but that this is um that this to me is the is the real you know answer yeah. um and and I like it that you said that that your other families might car- carry it differently but um you know that's the way that you guys saw it and that makes it more real to me to even hear that you know so oh yeah it's absolutely unique to every family it's the same but unique like I've, I've run into other families where, you know, like in the girls that I grew up with, their own households had their own ways, but it was the same, but it was a little different. Yeah. Man, that was good. That was good. And I, I, 
I, I wanted you to talk. I hope I didn't interrupt you, in, you know, too much. Um, no, no, I, I just got home. <laughs> it's okay. It's yeah. good. Yes, it was very good. Thank you so much for consenting to that interview, and thank you to Kyle for giving it. We hope you've enjoyed this interview. I know we ran a bit longer than we usually do, but that's in the interest of making sure that we can capture all the nuances and subtleties that are in this conversation. If you guys like this, you can write to us at wordhorde at gmail.com and tell us your thoughts. If you guys hate this, you should write us at wordhorde at gmail.com and tell us your thoughts. We want to uh, hear all of the questions, concerns, comments, thoughts, and ideas that you may have for how to improve our program. We really believe in the written word as a way to trace the origin of history and a way to unlock our past and unlock our own philosophies, tendencies, prejudices, that's all ingrained within the scope of language, and we really believe in that. The next couple of weeks, we have a couple surprises in store, but then we're going to be firing a barrage of questions to Kyle, basically audience questions, rounding out our season one, and we're going to start our season two here in a bit. So season two, on the horizon, very, very exciting developments, uh, very different exciting topics, some crazy, crazy interviews. We cannot wait to show you what we have in store. Well, I guess we can wait because we're going to be waiting until the first week of October. <laughs> so until that time, I hope you guys have a marvelous, marvelous day. Enjoy your Tuesday or whenever you're listening to this. Again, these podcasts go live every Tuesday at 530.